Uh, all right, so, so, so Brian talked about the, the series that we've been in over the past couple months called The Language of Faith. The, the tagline to that is words that tell the story of God. And we've exa- been examining these key terms that illustrate who God is, what the biblical storyline is, and what that means for us as people today in 20, 2018, almost said 2017, in 2018 as, as people who, who call Christ our Savior and who identify as Christians or, or who are exploring that. And so today we're actually going to look at the concept of faith and how, how Scripture defines it, but also how it, how it shapes our understanding of being Christ followers. Uh, so actually, if you all want to stand with me, we're, we're going to be, um, our, our topic verse today is going to be from Hebrews 11. So we'll stand, we'll read the verse, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into our teaching today. And can, can you all hear me okay? Is that okay? Awesome. All right, so we're going to be a really short verse today. We're going to be uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. So it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for... Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that as we're thinking about what this, this term, this word faith means, that uh, you've given us your word, you've given us uh, a revelation of, of the beauty of what it means to, to have faith in you. Um, God, we want to be people of faith. We want to be um, people whose, whose faith is living and active, um, not just people who, who understand, but that, God, what we believe and what we think leads to who we are and how we act. Uh, so, God, I pray that you would show us today what it means to be um, uh, people who have faith in you. Um, God, how you define faith uh, and how we can, we can live that out. So, God, we love you. Pray for your time, or pray for this time, your blessing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. Amen. So before we get into what the Bible says about faith, I wanted to talk about a couple assumptions about faith that we can sometimes come to the table with. So I was was having a conversation with a friend of mine via Facebook where all good conversations start and end. And he, he, he posted something uh, he, 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 he'd probably identify as agnostic or atheist. And I was really curious about, uh, about this video that he posted. And so, so I shot him um, a message. And I was like, and we, he doesn't live in town, so, so we could meet face to face. And I was, I was like, hey, like, I, was, I was really curious to hear more about why you posted this. And, um, and in essence, the video was saying how ludicrous it was to believe in any sort of faith tradition, Christianity specifically. And he wrote me back this, this really detailed message, which I, I was super stoked about. But he said this. He says, as for faith, believing in something blindly without a shred of evidence to back it up, I believe, hurts all of us in society. I'll read that again. 
He says, as for faith, believing in something blindly without a shred of evidence to back it up, I believe hurts all of us in society. And I feel like that really quantifies this first assumption that we have about faith is that faith is something that is illogical or irrational. That if, if we say we have faith, that means that we've just thrown any sort of critical thinking or rationality in the trash. It's really interesting if you, uh, if you have an Apple computer and you look at faith in whatever dictionary Apple uses. This is actually the definition that they give. It says uh, that faith is a complete trust or confidence in something or someone or something, a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion. This is what I thought was interesting. Based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. So even the dictionary definition kind of pits this, this idea of rationality against faith. And, and I think that is a huge misconception, um, not just of any understanding of faith, although I think we can point to examples of people and stories where faith does have this quality to it where there's not a lot of thought invested in it. But, but I think, and I think the Bible really affirms, that faith works best when it's paired with a lot of thought, right? So, so that's, that's the first thing I, I really want to put a finger on, is that when we're thinking about faith, we need to challenge this, this idea, if you have it in the room, that faith is, is at odds with reason. Um, and and, and another, another thing I want to point out regarding this, too, is that um, sometimes we think that, uh, that, that reason is the only way that we come to faith. If, if, if you can think about a, a conversation or maybe a story that you've heard of somebody talking about, well, I can't believe in Christianity because I, I don't have enough proof. Or, okay, you believe in God, so show me that, right? Show me this, this logical, rational proof that what you believe is, is watertight. Um, and and there's, there's a couple of problems with this. Uh, one, um, we... We all believe in something uh, that we can't prove. Um, I, I don't want to go too deep into that, but Tim Keller has a, really, a couple really good works, Reasons for God and Making Sense of God, that really walk us through this, this, this philosophical reality that we all have, that there's, there, what we have faith in is made up of part logic, but there's other things that actually factor in to us believing what we believe. So, so here's some elements that, that actually create what... what what we would term faith, or how we arrive at, a, at this faith position. Uh, so one of them is authority, right? Whom we trust. So you can think about, um, I mean, just this past election, and there was so much dialogue going on about who can we trust, right? Who, who is, is, is what they're saying um, something that is backed up with, with evidence? Um, are they an authority that we trust, right? Uh, there, there's a really interesting study that, that Stanford did um, surrounding uh, the use of household appliances. Uh, so they, they actually surveyed a whole bunch of people, and they're like, hey, do you know how a toilet works? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And then they, they asked those same people to teach a class on how that actually works, and everybody just tanked. And Pun intended, I guess. <laughs> uh, and the, the point of that is, is that we all operate on this basis of putting faith in things that we trust other people's authority that this is true, right? So we don't think about how you know, a toilet or a toaster operate, 
but we trust because whoever made them, manufactured them, set them up, we trust that they're an authority in this and that what we have works, right? So authority is part of how we, we construct this idea of faith. Um, the next one is experience, right? Um, we, we, we all have this, this ongoing story in our lives that we're building experiences that, that teach us what to and to not believe, what we can trust and what we can't trust. Uh, after experience, rationality, right? Thinking through things, reading things, hearing other people's perspectives, evaluating, testing, the, the, all that, that rational aspect is, is very much a part of, of how we construct our, our faith. And then lastly uh, is emotional, right? What we feel. Uh, there, there's a really interesting, if you ever get a chance to study confirmation bias, uh, in essence, what it is is, is, is the, the reality that even if we have the right facts, doesn't always mean that we're going to change our opinion on something. Uh, so again, there, there's studies that show that even when people have a clear-cut, you know, quote-unquote watertight example or, or proof that something that they believe is not true, they will still hold on to that belief because they're so invested on a feeling basis for that. So, so the point is, is that you know, if, if, if we're pitting rationality against faith, um, not only is, is rationality a huge part of faith, but there's, we also need to have a bigger idea of how we actually believe what we believe. Are you all tracking with that? Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Uh, and then the second one, the second assumption that, that we can have sometimes is that some people have faith, but other people don't, right? So there's a camp of like, oh, well, they have faith. They, they believe in things, but, but you know, me in this camp over here, I don't really believe in anything, uh, at this point, and, and the truth is, is that we, everybody in this room, everybody in this world has, has a set of exclusive beliefs that we can't ultimately prove. And that, that's kind of a weird thing to think about as a Christian too, that, that our, our faith is not something that we can absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, prove. That, that's a challenging thing. And and Tim Keller, he, he has this great quote that when, when he was asked, uh, or I think he's actually telling a story about this, but when he was asked um, about the, can you give me a watertight argument about Christianity, his response was, no, but the Bible does give us a watertight person in the person of Jesus Christ. And so more about that as we go through this. But, but that point of that, we all have a, a faith perspective. That's something that we all have. We all have a sense of what's wrong in the world and how things should be and what the solution to that is. That in of itself is, is a faith uh, perspective or an, an idea of faith is this is what's wrong in the world, this is how things should be, and this is what the solution is. But none of us can, without a shadow of a doubt, prove that faith position. And so the, the reason why I want to talk about all these things is when we're teeing up to this idea of biblical faith and what does it mean to have faith in Christ, there's a lot of things going on here. It's, it's not something that is, is this kind of one and done, easily quantifiable idea, but it's a process that brings in all these different ideas and perspectives and experiences um, that, we, that, that we contain within ourselves. Uh, but, but there's also an element of risk in it. And I, I want to acknowledge that because faith isn't something that's always this, this easy thing to say, I have faith in this. But, but I think what the Bible shows us is that faith in Christ 
is one of the most beautiful invitations, and I would say the most beautiful invitation, the most robust, the most powerful invitation of faith that has ever been offered to humanity. So, so again, the, the question is not if we have faith, but in what do we have faith? So, so thinking about all those things, I want, let, let's, let's start unpacking what the Bible says about faith. And we're going to go back to our, our theme verse for today, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, which again, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, so in the Old and New Testament, there's a couple words that get used for faith. The, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word emet is, is what is generally used. There's a couple different words and variations of it. But the idea behind this word is, is, uh, is, is to consider something as established, uh, something as a set, uh, to rest in something, uh, to regard something as true, or to believe in it. So um, the, 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 there, there is a slight difference between how the Old Testament talks about faith and how the New Testament talks about faith. Um, but again, in the Old Testament, we see this word being used a lot that, that when, when, when we're talking about faith or having faith in something, um, it's that something is being evaluated as established, um, that somebody can rest in it. It's like, all right, like I'm here, I'm safe, I'm in this, I'm rooted uh, that, that, that thing is regarded as true um, and believed. And, and in the New Testament, the, the Greek word that's used is uh, pistis, uh, which is an interesting word. Again, there's some variations on it. But what's really cool about this is, is it has some of the, the same themes. Um, it means to believe what someone says as true, but it also has this meaning of not just to believe someone's information. Like, if I told you my name was Nick, you'd be like, yeah, I believe that's true. But the, the word, the, the term pistis also talks about believing in someone, right? That, that you have faith in me as a person, right? Um, so it's not just the, the idea of information, but also of, 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 of a person, of, of someone, uh, to trust someone personally, so thinking about this, um, in, in Hebrews 11, uh, that word now faith is, is that word pistis. Um, there, there's a couple of terms that, that get thrown in here to describe faith. And the first one is the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, so that word assurance is, is actually more akin to the idea of like a title deed for, for land or a, or a house. And w- so it's really interesting. It's like the, the author of Hebrews is saying that faith is... This, this deed of, of these things that are hoped for. So, so this collection of hopes that, that are found in Scripture, these collection of promises, of revelation, that, that, that faith is this thing that, that says, this is yours, that, that it's, it's this thing that we hold on to as proof that we can have claim, we can claim all these things that we see in Scripture. And the second thing, the conviction of things not seen and that word conviction is more akin to like key evidence in a legal case, right? So, so faith is, is this key evidence of things that we might not be able to, to see or tangibly experience right here and right now. And, and, and so thinking about all those, those concepts, um, uh, Paul Ellingsworth, who's a theologian, he has this really cool thing to say about Hebrews 11. He says um, that that. Uh, it is more natural in light of the whole chapter in which this verse finds itself in 
to think of verse 1 as a summary of what faith does, faith binds the believer securely to the reality of what he does not see, what, what he does not yet see, but for what he hopes. Um, so again, that, that this, uh, this, this statement of faith is really talking about what faith does, what, what faith achieves for the Christian. Um, and it's that it's, it, uh, it's, it ties the believer, um, it binds the believer securely to the reality of what they do not yet see, but for what they hope. Uh, another theologian talks about faith as it's, it's the fastening of the heart upon the divine word of promise, a leaning upon the power and faithfulness of God. I'll read that again. It's such a powerful statement. That faith is a fastening of the heart upon the divine word of promise, a leaning upon the power and the faithfulness of God. Uh, Spurgeon also talks about faith really quickly, um, uh, saying that it's, it's us committing our soul to, to God. It's, it's saying, like, hey, I'm going to sign up for, for, for who you are, what you're saying, um, how you're revealing yourself in, in the scripture. Um, but but th- this guy, Steve Wilkins, actually expands upon this idea of just committing our soul to say that faith is actually this, this wholesale experience that we have as believers. It's not just uh, this, this profession of belief or this, this faith isn't something that just impacts part of us, um, but that faith is the whole person, the heart, mind, body, and soul, commitment and trust in God and his truths and promises as he's revealed himself through scripture and in the person of Jesus. So are you, are you all tracking with a lot of these themes? Um, okay, cool. Yeah, that's a lot of, a lot of content there. But I think the, the point is that um, faith is this deep-rooted attachment and fastening um, of ourselves that we, we extend and, 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 we, and that we have in God. Uh, so, so, so maybe stepping out of the clouds a little bit of this concept of faith um, Scripture actually ties faith to a number of other themes and topics throughout the Bible that really help us flesh out more about and understand more about what it means to have faith in Christ, to have faith in God. So I want to run through a couple of these to finish up. Uh, So the first one is the connection between faith and love. Uh, So 1 Corinthians 13.2 says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have have all faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Theologian Robert Lyons says, love is both the source and the ultimate expression of love. That love is the source and the ultimate expression of love. And so what Paul's saying is like, love and faith are are so tied together, I can't have one without the other. And, And what Lyons is talking about is that we actually see faith demonstrated most importantly and ultimately through love. And so let, let's talk about this for a sec. So, so hearing, hearing this and reading it, my, my first thought about how this actually looks is, is thinking about marriage. And that marriage is two people committing themselves wholeheartedly to one another, to be in relationship with one another uh, for a lifelong investment in the welfare of, of one another. And another interesting thing, as I reflect on the process, so I'm, I'm married, my wife uh, is named Jill, and, and as I was thinking about how I, I, I made that choice, how I, I said, yeah, I, I am going to propose to Jill, 
I want to commit my life to her. I want to sign up for a life of being in a relationship with you. It was really interesting to, to think about in retrospect how big of a faith commitment that is. And it's not a faith commitment that was, was absent or separate from experience or knowledge or thinking, right? Like you don't make that, that decision you know, on a dime after you've known someone for a little bit or you've only talked to them for a little bit. Jill and I know each other for four years. Uh, we'd had a lot of experiences together. We'd known each other. We, we'd had, had a lot of uh, conversations. I had a lot of information about Jill, but when it came to the point of saying, okay, I want to commit my life to you, cards on the table, I, I was freaked out. And, and I'll tell you why is the invitation to have faith in committing myself to this relationship presented a lot of unknowns that I had insecurities about. There was a lot of broken relationships in my family that I'd seen crash and burn. And for me, I didn't want to, to ruin my own life by signing myself up for, for something that I, I wasn't sure about. I was scared of that, and I was also scared that I was going to hurt somebody else. And this is proof that, that that faith invitation, when God's inviting us to commit ourselves to that degree of, of covenant, of, of love, that brings up a lot of fears and insecurities that we have about committing to someone, God specifically, to that degree. And... And I remember talking to a buddy of mine, Matt. We, we, we were hiking Johnson Trail, and that loop is a couple miles. And the whole time, Matt was, was really gracious. He was listening to me as I processed all these insecurities that I had about proposing to Jill. And at the end of that, we, we, were, we were sitting there stretching in the parking lot, and he was just like, dude, just freaking propose to Jill. <laughs> And kind of unceremonious, right? But that, that, I think you can say that. Our, our relationship is one that, like, he can say that to me and it's not offensive. <laughs> but, but what clicked in my mind at that point is, is I was like, I can spend my life trying to come up with enough evidence that this is a fail-safe, absolutely for sure, for sure, bet that if I commit myself to Jill, that we are going to have a, a, a fruitful, a good, a healthy, a wonderful, enjoyable marriage. Like, I, I'm never going to get to the point where, where I'm going to be fully absent from these fears. And so that commitment, that, that invitation, me saying, Jill, will you marry me? is a face statement. It says, I trust that I don't have all the information, but what I know of you, I am willing to sign my life up to say I will commit to this, to being invested in this for the rest of my life, um, knowing that I don't have all the answers, but I'm confident um, right now to make this step. And to transition from, from that story to our relationship with God, that, that, that is the invitation that the kind of the, 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 the jump in a sense that God invites us to make, but it's not one that God hasn't made first. 
And this is the story of Scripture that is so powerful that sometimes we can think about our faith to God, but we forget to think about God's faith in us or God's faithfulness towards us more specifically. And this is even the, the, the bigger picture of this connection between faith and love is that if we look through Scripture, basically what we see is 66 books of God saying, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. I've given everything. I've committed myself to you. There's nothing that can ever separate us. Um, I, I have given myself fully, fully, fully to you. I've covenanted myself for you. And, and, and I want to talk about some of these. Uh, so, so Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says, God is saying this, uh, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Yeah, amen. Y'all can totally say that if, if, if you're feeling it. Um, Psalm, eight, or Psalm 86, verse 15 says, But you, O Lord, are God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And, and here's the idea, is that God's very nature, who he is, is a God who is faithful. That, that's a core aspect of God's character. Um, and that is faithfulness is expressed through love. That, that is the prime expression of God's faithfulness is love. So if you walk through Scripture, you see these, these, these points where God outlines his commitment towards his people. You see him do it through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through David, and, and ultimately through Jesus, this idea of covenant. And it's basically God reaffirming this, this marriage-esque commitment that he will be our God um, and invites us to be his people. Um, in Romans, Romans 8, 38, it says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and, and so that resounding idea in Scripture is that God has demonstrated again and again and again his faithfulness towards us. And it's not just when we are faithful in return. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's a beautiful story in Luke 7 where this, this woman, it, it doesn't say what her sin is, but it says this sinful, one, this sinful woman comes into this dinner that Jesus is having with a bunch of Pharisees. And she's weeping, and she has this, this jar, this, uh, this flask of ointment. And she comes to Jesus, and, and she starts crying over his feet and, and wiping his feet with her tears and with her hair and anointing his feet with, with this, this oil. Um, and, and she's coming to Jesus, broken in sin, looking to him for forgiveness. And the Pharisees ridicule Jesus. They're saying, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And everyone around Jesus is saying, like, this person is not deserving of your faithfulness and your love. And this is what Jesus says. This gets me emotional thinking about this. Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You give me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You do not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And when he said to her, or then, and then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began saying, or began to say among them, Who is this who forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How beautiful is that? Even when we have done everything to categorize us as faithless towards God, as breaking that covenant, as, as, as betraying God, God never, never, never withdraws his love for us. God is always, always faithfully extending that hand and saying, come to me, come back to me. Have faith in me. Renew your love for me. And this is, this is an idea sometimes that we forget about love. That part of love, our love with God, that expression of faith is coming to him with all the crap that we're dealing with, with everything, the things that we haven't figured out, the things that are, are messed up, the things that we don't know, the things that we're ashamed of, and just sitting at God's feet and saying, I need your love. And every time God's faithful response is, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement of faith. And the ultimate statement of faith of God's love is is him dying on the cross, right? Um, Uh, again, Tim Keller says this, he says, at the center of the Christian faith is a man dying on the cross for his enemies, right? Out of love. And and that love is is that expression of, um, I mean, Jesus' faith for for the Father, but his faithfulness towards us. So again, when we think of love and faith, um, we need to know that, that God's already extended his faithfulness to us and, and we find that as we look at Scripture and how God has, has shown his love to us. So today, I, just that question, uh, oh, here's, here's another uh, re- really, really interesting point, is that if you read through the rest of Hebrews 11, you find a lot of really famous names in faith. Uh, and, and if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, you see a lot of those same characters being listed in, in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, so, uh, I mean, talking about um, Abraham, Rahab, David, Solomon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what's so interesting to me is that the people that Scripture says that these are people who had great faith, the people that are included in, G- in, in Jesus' genealogy that God worked through over hundreds of years to bring the Savior into the world, if you look at all those people there's murderers, um, people who have, have committed adultery, um, people who are uh, maybe not alcoholics, but who are drunk, who had multiple wives. Um, who the, I, You go through the list of imperfections within the hall of faith and within the genealogy of Jesus, and it's this, this insanely beautiful picture of how faithful God is to work with imperfect people to bring about his perfect love. Um, so let's not forget that when we think about our faith um, and us coming to the table with, with our insecurities, our doubts, etc., that, that God is, is perfect in extending his faithfulness to us and working through that.
so I think in, in, in that whole idea, um, the question for, for us is, is, if we lack faith, have we grasped the depth of love and faithfulness that God talks about and illustrates in Scripture? That is a question that we have to ask. If, if we feel that lack of faith, have we really done the work to realize how God has, has shown his love to us through Scripture? Um, we're going to move a little faster through these next few, but, but they're, they're, such, they're such beautiful connections. Um, this next one, faith and reverence for God. Uh, what do we mean by that? Um, there's two stories in Scripture that, that really illustrate this well. Uh, the story of Noah and the story of the centurion, if, 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 you, if you're familiar with the stories. Uh, so Hebrews 11.7 actually kind of quantifies the story of Noah. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God uh, concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And whenever I hear this story, I always think about the insanity of, of what God was asking Noah to do. He was asking him to build this massive boat in the middle of the desert, hundreds of miles from the ocean, that wouldn't be used for ballpark 120 years. That's crazy to think about. Like, dig into that for a sec. Um, and there's been a lot of, of, of teachers and, and, um, and pastors who, who kind of drill down on this, but that's an insane ask for someone. Like, you want me to build a boat in the middle of, I mean, it, it's, like, it's like being in the middle of the Mojave Desert um, or, I don't know, in the middle of the United States and, and yeah, building, well, Maybe I don't need to illustrate that point further because I think you get it. That, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> but but what, what, is, what is so interesting is that uh, Noah, even if he did think it was crazy, it's, Hebrews 11 shows us that his motivation, he stepped forward in faith because he revered God. He saw God and he was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I, I am I'm so in tune and I understand how great and amazing and awesome and powerful that you are, that even though this seems insane, I am going to do this. In, in the same way, on a, on, a very, uh, on, a, on a much more personal level, we see the same elements displayed in the story of the centurion coming to Jesus for the healing of his servant. Uh, so, so the centurion, uh, this is in Matthew 8, um, he comes to Jesus asking for healing of his servant. He says, uh, Jesus actually says, hey, I'll come to your house. And the centurion responds. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus stand back, stands back and says, when he heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel have I found with such faith. And what the centurion did, he walked up to Jesus, he's like, I, I, I have such confidence in who you are and the power that you have. You don't even need to come and be in, the, in like the physical presence to heal my servant. He's just like, just say it, and I know that you're going to do it. I know that is who you are and how much power you contain. And, and I think in there, how good you are, God. And, and so for knowing the centurion, their faith stemmed from their, their idea, their massive idea of God, that God is, and Jesus are, are powerful or are amazing or awesome. 
um, that, and that they have authority. And so I think that connection between faith and this, this reverence, this revering of God, um, what, what I see in that is that God's power and greatness actually deepen our faith in him. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're just like, my, my, I feel like my faith is weak or I, I don't have like the level or the access or the, the, the power that I, I think I'm supposed to have in my faith. Another question is, have you spent time meditating on the power of God? Have you spent time searching scripture to see the authority that the God who is inviting you to have faith in him actually has? Um, there's beautiful language in the Psalms that talk about God measuring out the seas and, and the land in the cup of his hand. Um, even the creation story is this beautiful picture of, of the authority and the power and the majesty of God. Um, and that is something that deepens and secures our faith, is, is that reverence for God. Uh, another connection, moving on, is, is the connection between faith and trial, right? Faith in, in suffering. Uh, James uh, one, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Uh, James writes this, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various tri- trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And what James is saying here is that trial and suffering is actually where the rubber meets the road for our faith. Our, our faith is tested when we encounter difficulties. Now think about it for a sec. How many people in, 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 in the room have had a, a moment where when, when they've encountered faith or something that's challenging, that's when your faith really comes alive? Maybe raise your hand just so we can kind of see the, yeah, the experience. One of the craziest things about the reality of of our relationship with God is that God uses and leverages trial that usually comes through the effect of sin in some way, shape, or form. Um, He uses trial as a way of actually building our security in him. And and when I think about this, there's a, there's a number of different stories that, that I can look back to that, that illustrate this in my own life, but, but one that I, that I go back to is uh, a couple years ago, I, the, I realized that I'd, I'd had a, a, pain, a pain, just this dull pain in, in my abdomen for, for years. And it's ridiculous that, I don't know, it's like you'd think that if you had this chronic pain for years that you'd go see a doctor, but for me, I'm like, oh, it's just gonna, it will, like, it'll go away, or I'm, I'm gonna be okay. It's not, it's not anything serious. But talking to, especially my wife Jill about it, she's like, that's not right. Like, you don't have, like, chronic pain is not something that we should be experiencing. And so I was like, okay, I gotta go check this out. And and I was kind of scared to see what it was, right? Um, and so I, I went in to the doctors, and the the doctor was checking around. And I remember him saying, oh, and I'm like, oh gosh, what are you, what are you saying? And, and he, he, he starts digging in, he's like, does this hurt? Does this hurt? And I'm like, yeah, that hurts, that, and he's like, I feel something there. And, and pain and feeling something there, for me, was not a good combination. And so he's like, I, th- I, think, I think we need to get a CAT scan. Um, 
for you. And so I, I, I was like, okay. A few weeks later, the got the CAT scan and the results came back. And he showed me the results and he said, okay, in your terminal ileum, which is part of your GI tract, he's like, there's a four centimeter thing there. And he's like, we don't know what it is. We gotta do some more tests, but there's something that is there. And for me, my mind went to, I've cancer in my family. That's something that I've always feared knowing that uh, my grandpa passed away from colon cancer. And my brain immediately went to, I have cancer, and this is going to be the story of the next however long of my life, and I'm going to have to be dealing with this. Um, and in that moment, my, that is what I would, when I would say that trial and testing began in that moment is what I thought was reality was going to be shifted drastically, and I realized that I didn't have the power or the knowledge or the information to know what was gonna happen next. That's what trial does for us. It causes us to realize how finite we actually are. And it rises to the surface, the depth and in what we have faith in. That's what trial does. And as, as hard as that can be, the results that God knows it will produce in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, and in our faith in him are incredibly beautiful. And, and here's, here, here's, where, <laughs> here's where I ended up. Uh, a few days later, I, I just started praying like crazy. And, and my wife and I were praying, and friends of ours were praying. And, and I remember sitting in our room, uh, getting emotional, thinking about and, and this anticipation of wanting more information, but just not knowing what was going to happen. And I remember praying, uh, the, basically, in essence, this, this, this statement of, God, if you need to wreck my body to glorify yourself, freaking do it. And I remember praying that and just kind of stopping and being like, what the heck did I just say? <laughs> like, like did, did, I really, did I really ask with gusto and with kind of a, a like, heck yeah, God, let, let's do this. Like, did I really ask God for something that could be extremely painful and detrimental to my body? And, and I don't say that to say like, hey, look at me and how strong my faith is. That's not the point there. But the point is that that's what God does. Getting a little emotional here. That's what God does in times of trial is that he, he, he makes us realize the, 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 the full scope of what he's actually trying to do is that God's, God's motive, his mission is to glorify himself, to increase our faith, our trust in him, um, that he's using trial, even if we can't see it in some way, shape, or form, to deepen our confidence in him. And that is, is where that came from, that, that beauty of God. Like, I get it why I have faith in you because I don't understand what's going on here and it makes me crave the truth of who you are, that you are good, that you love me, that you have good plans for my life, that you know what's going to happen. Um, that ultimately, regardless of what happens on this earth, I am going to have a renewed body with you 
um, that you, that, that, you know, again and again and again and again, um, the promises that God extends to us goes on and on. But trial is the thing that solidifies that in our hearts. Uh, a couple more things and we're done. Um, and maybe just to cap that off, I think the invitation there, the question is, is are, are you in trial in this moment right now? And where is God inviting you to trust in him? Where is God asking you, this, this, is, this is the point where you feel is out of control, and where is God saying, you, you've heard, you know, here's how I actually, even if you don't know, I have the answer, I'm with you, I'm here, I have power over your life, and I'm so for your good, I'm so in love with you, um, I, I am able to take you through this in a way that is going to produce um, incredible fruit in your life. And I think, I think that is the invitation, um, that, uh, that in trial, this is what God is trying to accomplish in our faith in him. Um, a couple more. So, so, so a couple of things. Faith, faith and doubt. Uh, the story of Thomas is such a great illustration of someone who was right next to Jesus for Jesus' entire ministry. He saw some crazy things. He saw somebody rise from the dead. And when Jesus is rumored to be resurrected, when the disciples are saying, hey, Thomas, Jesus is back, Thomas is like, heck no, I can't believe that. And the story in, uh, in John 20 is that Thomas actually comes and invites, or Jesus actually invites Thomas uh, it's, it's, it's so cool. He says, he actually rolls up to Thomas, who he knows is doubting, and he says, he says Thomas, peace be with you. Like, that's what he says. Um, and, uh, and then he says, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side, and do not disbelieve. And what I think is so cool is that when Thomas presents his doubt, his insecurities, even in light of all the things that he'd seen in Jesus, Jesus comes to him and he says, Thomas, come here. I want you to know me. I want you to get the answers that you're seeking. I want you to experience me. And he says this too. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And in some, I, I don't want to miss that doubting is, is this part of faith. Doubting is, is, a, is, is an aspect of faith that, that I experience. I have questions someday. Yeah. We, oh, I, I so didn't see it. I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, let's do that right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if, if maybe you can grab someone's hand so we can be united in praying for her. Yeah, does anybody know her name? Okay. Cool. Father, just thinking about faith. God, that you are not just faithful to us, but God, that you, you love us more deeply than you can ever imagine. God, that you are Lord over our, our hearts, our minds, our souls, our body as well. God, our, our sister, uh, something's happening within our body that, that we may not understand, we may not get right now. 
God, but you, you know what's happening there. God, you have her in your hands. God, we pray that you would, you would heal her. God, you would, you would bring her to a place of safety and stability. Um, God, that you bless her with the power of your spirit uh, in the way that she needs, God, to, to, to recover, um, Lord, to be safe. Um, God, we desire that, that, that she would receive uh, from you uh, what she needs to be, to be whole again. Um, and so, God, we pray, yeah, for your mercy, for your grace, for your love for her, for her family, for the people that are with her. Um, God, that you would care for her uh, as we know that you care for us um, more deeply than we could ever imagine. So, yeah, God, thank you. Um, we have faith that, uh, that all the promises are yes, God, in you. Um, and we have faith uh, that, that you're working right now. Um, you're powerful where we are weak, Lord. Uh, so we love you, Jesus. Lift this up to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Let's, let's invite the worship team to, to close up. Um, and just to close with a couple thoughts. Um, some of you may have, have had doubts in your life, and you've been answered at some point with the, you just need to have faith. I've talked to people over the years, a lot of people who, especially when they were young and they had questions about what it means to, to be in a relationship with God, they had questions about their faith. The response was, you just need to have faith. And I think that has been damaging to some of us because it negates what we find in, in, in this, this story of Thomas that Thomas earnestly wanted answers from God, and, and, and that was something that Jesus extended to him. And also with that, we also find that Jesus doesn't always give people the answers that they're asking. Elsewhere in the Gospels, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, do some miracles because we want to know that you're legit. Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you that, but I am. He, he talks about uh, the sign of Jonah, and what he means is that what I am going to give you is the testimony of my death and resurrection. And so lastly, the, the, what we find in Scripture is that faith is intricately tied to salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. A theologian, Robert Lyons, says, Faith then is faith in Jesus Christ. The number of metaphors that Paul employs to describe the consequences of our faith is staggering. He says that it is by faith that we are justified, that we are reconciled, that we are redeemed, made alive, adopted into the family of God, recreated, transported into a new kingdom, set free, or and set free. Faith is, for Paul, the essential piece of every aspect of salvation from the grace that convicts to the receiving of the full inheritance at the coming of the Lord. So that final invitation, and let's stand right now, is back to that, that question at, at the front is, is, what is wrong? What do we believe the solution is? And what is that? And 
And what scripture says is that faith in Jesus is the beginning of salvation. And so that's the invitation today. That God is saying and asking us, I have been faithful in more ways than you can ever imagine. And and I'm inviting you to place your trust in me. Uh, There's communion in the back.
So as 